0: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. week 16 defense and goalies hello and welcome to blue notes your hockey podcast network home for your Raining, defending
1: undisputed champion of the world
0: and we're watching the proof of that on our tvs right now st louis blues i'm your host tom franklin joined as always by the man called wags wags how's your week been bud It's been good. Uh, Once again, a little tiring, but seeing
2: the Game 7 on my screen right now and reliving the glory days of last year uh, makes everything better.
0: That's right. It doesn't get the chicken smell off your clothing, though, but uh, uh, it it, it helps your morale, at least. It it helps my morale, and the fact that
2: I'm smelling chicken is pretty good, too. I I, I can take smelling chicken and watching Game 7.
0: There are worse things to smell than fried chicken, that is for sure. Uh, I actually just bought a bunch of fried chicken uh, yesterday, I have a there's a uh, tavern right next door to my apartment, uh, Pat Connolly's actually, mm-hmm. in Dogtown, and they've been closed throughout this whole pandemic. And yesterday, they offered up um, a chicken for a family of four, fried chicken. So you get 12 pieces of chicken, and then you get mashed potatoes and and uh, slaw, and it was it was like 30 bucks. Well, that's a good and, deal. And, and it was it's like you know, the good thing about fried chicken is that it keeps well in the fridge. So I was like, hey, I get to support a local business, and I have food for pretty much through tomorrow morning. So um, support your local businesses if you can. Uh, by the way, this is episode number 56, or as I like to call it, the Magnus Payarvi episode of Blue Notes. We, uh, like I said, the pickings are slim for these sweater numbers now. Uh Pei-Arvi wore the uh, number 56 for five years. The only other choice I had was Lubos Bartechko who wore it briefly for the Blues. So there you go. I was Action. a
2: big Bartesko fan back in the day, but I didn't even realize he wore 56 for a short amount of time. So
0: No, no, he didn't. Uh, yeah, Lubos Bartesko, part of the uh, vaunted Slovak line uh, back in the day. Uh, him along with uh, uh, Dimitra and Hanzus. Uh, I believe that was a line. I think Ladisov Nagy got in there as well, too. Yep, um, a little
2: bit of Nagy in there, yep.
0: A little bit of Nagy, that's right. And uh, then Phoenix got a lot of Nagy. Um, you know, for the, you know, he, you know, and that's the the Kachuk deal. So, uh, anyways, as we kind of ramble on here, uh, during this pandemic, uh, today we have, as I mentioned, the sweet 16 round of a bracket of our own starting up, we will uh, do defense and goalies for this week. One poll a day. We'll start with the defenders on Monday and Tuesday goalies on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. And then we'll do the forwards next week uh, here on, on Blue Notes as well as uh, Twitter at Blue Notes Pod where you can vote on all of these selections. We will recap the final uh, matchups in the uh, round of 32. Those were the before and after whole forwards last week. Some interesting results, uh, one of which I want to kind of talk about here a little bit. Um, and I think once we say it, you're going to probably know what it is. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that and then we're going to play a little bit of our conversation that we had, uh, just before we started recording here with our friends, uh, with uh, the Colorado Avalanches offside by a mile podcast, uh, one of our podcasts here on the hockey podcast network, Tyler, Jared, always a good time. And, uh, we'll, uh, you'll hear a little bit of our conversation about playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Yes. We are going to talk about playoffs um, and then you can hear the rest of us, uh, our conversation, uh, on the offside by a mile podcast, which drops the same day as this one. So let's go ahead and get to a bracket of our own right off the bat here. And, uh, last week it was the before and after Hole forwards round two. And, uh, why don't you run down the results for us wags? Yeah, certainly. So, for the most part, it was a clean sweep. Uh, We had three 100
2: to 0 victories uh, in our bracket. Uh, One of those was the number one seed, Bernie Federico, over Joe Mullen. Uh, Gary Unger took out Jorgen Pedersen, 100 to nothing. And Brian Stutter took out Wayne Babbage, 100 to nothing. The one that was really, really close, and one that I was actually surprised was as close as it was, was the Red Barons and Doug Gilmore matchup. That ended up going to red 55 to 45. That was extremely close. That was essentially two votes the other way. Uh, it went back and forth most of the week uh, or most of the day that uh, we had that poll up uh, yeah. and very, very surprised at how close that one was.
0: Yeah, people forget how good. Uh, well, I guess I guess they don't forget. They remember how good Gilmore was during his time in the blue note. I mean, he wasn't just some young kid that got traded before his peak. No, he was probably peaking, you know, or at least starting to hit his peak, you know, before he got traded. Um, and, and I think, you know, just a simple matter of Doug Gilmore is a more recognizable name in the world of hockey, uh, versus Red Berenson probably. So, but that was a great matchup and, and kind of an interesting, you know, again, that was kind of one of those arguments where you take the short-term success over the more long-term production, you know, and, uh, uh, good matchup, a good matchup for sure. But, uh, the one I want to talk about is in the after hole. Brackets and uh, run down the results for us on that.
2: Yeah, so a, a little bit of surprise for me was that Brett Hall beat Adam Oates 100 to 0. Uh, we had a really good uh, debate on that about who made who between Hall and Oates. Uh, they both. Complimented each other very well, but Hall easily took that 100 to nothing. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, the 12 seed, took down Pavel Dimitra, 67 33. That one was very, very close for much of the day uh, before Ryan O'Reilly kind of started to pull away a little bit. Keith Kachuk, 93 to 7 over Doug Waite. And the one that we had picked as Pierre Turzan went the other way for the fans. Vladimir Tarasenko, 75 to 25.
0: Yeah, I don't blame the fans on that nope. one at all. I mean, that was a kind of a deep dive for us to really unearth the fact that Pierre. Had bigger numbers during his time as a blue, but as we kind of talked about a little bit with the abs guys, I mean, you know, when you when Tarasenko hits the ice, he's a guy that other teams take notice of and like kind of key on. Turjan never quite was that guy for the Blues. I mean, he was he was always a guy that got on the score sheet but never like feared, you know. So that that's 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 I I can respect. The one matchup I want to talk about at some length here. And you know this is this is the shock of the tournament, in my opinion, is Ryan O'Reilly, uh, the number twelve seed. He tomahawks David Backus in the first round, eighty-seven to thirteen, and then he gets by a very good and very well loved Pavel Dimitra, uh, sixty-seven to thirty-three. wasn't a route, but it was a pretty handy win for 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 O'Reilly. Uh, and I'm kind of starting to wonder now because, you know, O'Reilly is going to face Brett Hall, uh, the number one seed in this whole thing, probably the number one seed, if I could guess, for the whole bracket. I'm halfway wondering if O'Reilly has a shot next round. I think he does. Uh, I mean, we when we are talking with the guys...
2: With offside by a mile, it came down to recency bias. You know, what have you done for me lately? Well, Ryan O'Reilly won a Con Smythe, won a Selkie, won the Stanley Cup finals for the Blues. Brett Hall never did that. He provided a ton of moments for the Blues. The you know, Enterprise Center doesn't get built if not for Brett Hall. So there's a lot of things that Brett Hall did for this franchise that makes him a rightful number one seed. But what Ryan O'Reilly has done for the Blues is something that no other player can say they've done. So yeah, I think it's. I think he's going to give Hall a run for his money. I think Brett Hall will still come out the victor in this one. But man alive, Ryan O'Reilly is really in the year and a half he's been here. He's <laughs> he's
0: made some fans. Well, and, and and exactly, and I think he could arguably be the face of the franchise now. Honestly, him or Binnington, um, you know, just because of the impact that they've had. I mean, when you when you give your franchise a first Stanley Cup win that tends to go a long way. So next round, it'll be the man who built enterprise center versus the man who probably was the X factor in the blues winning the Stanley cup. Uh, so that's going to be a tough one. I can't wait for it. We'll get to that next week. Uh, but for now we're going to, uh, go into the sweet 16, uh, matchups. Uh, we have two matchups for defense, two matchups for goaltenders. Uh, let's go ahead and start off with the defenders. Certainly, we've got the uh, number one versus number four seed, Chris Pronger versus
2: Bob Plager. That's going to be a very fun matchup. Mm. And the other matchup, uh, the two, three seed, Al McKinnis versus Alex Petrangelo. So the four guys, well, three of the four guys we knew were probably going to be there. Bob Plager was probably going to be there. That's why he was a four seed, but it's very interesting who he beat. You know, he beat a a Bob Gashoff, who could have possibly been a number one seed if his his life wasn't tragically taken. Uh, And then he beat his brother, who was a better player. But also died tragically at a younger age. and Plager's uh, Bob Plager's been part of the organization since the beginning,
0: yeah, really. And when you think of Blues ambassadors, I mean, you you don't think past Bob Plager. Uh, I mean, he is, you know, he is the heartbeat of this whole organization. He may not have been the best best defender in this bracket uh, in terms of talent. I mean, I, I, honestly, probably in terms of talent, he's probably somewhere in the middle. Um but um you know you can't deny his impact for the organization. Um he was one of the pillars of the Blues starting out. Uh you know he came over, you know from the Rangers. Uh, actually I like think about that it was Barkley that came over from the Rangers. Bob was with the team from the start. He uh was part of those uh, expansion era Stanley Cup uh, uh runner up teams. He um he has stuck with this franchise throughout. He is, you know, if he ever have an opportunity to go up into the uh, Dan Kelly Memorial Press Box Enterprise Center you can see Bob Plager pacing the hallways around nervously like he's still a player himself like he's still got the butterflies in his stomach i mean he i mean i i, I usually see plager up up there he, he's not even watching the game he's just kind of pacing around nervously i think he just kind of you know takes in the sounds and like he'll like check the you know tv monitors um just a very interesting character to watch uh, he's taking on, uh, Chris Pronger, uh, Chris Pronger, who, uh, is, he was, he was a f- phenomenon, uh, during his time in the blue note, he six foot six, 220 pounds, and basically could do whatever he wanted out there on the ice. Um, he'll admit that, uh, I listened to his spit and chicklets interview, uh, last week that he had. Um, and you know he 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 would say like his skating maybe wasn't the best and you know that's fine, but he was he he was still great. He is a Hall of Famer, a uh, four-time All Star. He won the damn Hart Trophy in nineteen ninety nine two thousand as long as well as the Norris. He in during his time in the Blue Note eighty four goals two hundred seventy two assists three hundred fifty six points nine hundred thirty one penalty minutes. He was a plus one forty. And you want to talk about guys that are someone that other teams have to watch out for when their skates hit the ice? It was Chris Pronger. You, Chris Pronger, was probably in his day. Uh, you can either him or Scott Stevens were probably the most feared defenseman in the entire league. Uh, and and for me, for me, I lean Pronger just for that very reason. He was that just kind of that X factor type of defender that. As much as I love Bob Plager, he never was.
2: If we're talking pure statistics and in trophies, no question, it's it's Chris Pronger. Uh, I mean, he he's a guy that put up you know between thirty and forty points most seasons that he played here, uh, even after eleven. I mean, his best year was ninety nine two thousand when he won the Hart Trophy, sixty two points, fourteen goals, forty eight assists, and a plus fifty two, uh, paired with McInnis, the best defensive duo probably in the league at that time. Um, And you talk about Hart, and he won the Norris, and he was always in the all-star conversation, always in the Norris conversation, something that Bob Plager never was. Uh, So yeah, if you're looking at pure statistics and and pure trophy output, it's Chris Pronger by a landslide, Stanley Cup victory is as well with Anaheim. Uh, But Bob Plager, if you're talking about what he meant for the Blues and what he meant to the organization, I still think no question it's Bob Plager. Uh, so really, it's going to come down to what you value most is who the best Blues player is. Are you talking about what he did on the ice, or are you talking about what they've done for the organization? Because if you're talking about on the ice, Chris Pronger hands down, that's why he's a number one seed. But if you're talking about what they've done for the organization, Bob Plager's got a hell of an argument.
0: Yeah, and, and it's it's and, and and listening to Pronger's conversation on spit and chiclets, I mean, one th- one of the things you kind of talked about was when he was traded to Edmonton uh the organization kind of threw him under under the bus I mean they you know kind of talked down about him a little bit that's his his allegations anyway and kind of you know made it so that he was glad to leave St Louis um I do think that overall I think pronger still identifies his career more during his time in the blue note than anywhere else uh I mean he had three good years in Anaheim he had uh, three good years in Philadelphia um, before concussion issues kind of knocked him down. Um, it just, it just for, it just for me, I mean, in the end, while, while the intangibles that Bob Plager has given to this organization can't be measured, I'm still going to out. I'm still going to weigh the on ice performance a little higher in this one. Um, and for me, that that gives me that gives Pronger the edge. I will say I'm I'm with you though, Wags. I think that Plager will give Pronger a run for his money. Um, Pronger's had a pretty easy ride in this uh, bracket so far. He's uh, he beat Jeff Finley ninety to ten. I don't know how that wasn't in hundred to zero to be honest with you. Uh, and then he beat uh, Jay Bomeister ninety four to six. Um, so he's had a really easy ride to get to this point. This is going to be his toughest challenge in Bob Plager uh, so far. Um, but I, 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 st- I still lean Pronger.
2: Yeah, I, I lean Pronger as well. As much as Bob Plager means to your organization, uh, where Pronger took this team as far as heights are concerned uh, are undeniable. I mean, this team was a a President's Trophy winning team. They they wouldn't be in the position that they were in if not for having a guy like Chris Pronger on. On the team. And I'll make the same argument for Al McKinnis. I mean, if, if, if Pronger and McKinnis both aren't here during the late nineties, early two thousands, this team is nowhere near where they were. Uh, they, they just brought a stability and, and just a toughness and, and maturity to a team of a team kind of in transition too. Cause it, it you know, Paul was here from the beginning and then he wasn't here for it, but they still were good. When you come, when it comes down to it, the intangibles and the, and the main stage were Chris Pronger and Al McInnes. And the Blues have never, up until now, have never really had that duo or even trio that you can sit there and say, back on defense, these guys are the rocks of the team. And back in the day, it was Pronger and McInnes. Now we're lucky enough to have Petrangelo. We had Bo Meester and, and you i throw Pareko in that conversation as well, where you had three guys that were rocks and you knew they were penciled in the lineup every day and they would play their, their game well and they would be shut down defensemen outside of Pronger McInnes. The blues had never really had that up until that point.
0: Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Al McGinnis, he is in our next matchup here mm-hmm. or other matchup here in the sweet 16 and this one wags, This might be the toughest matchup to separate up until now. Um, Number two, Al McInnes versus number three, Alex Petrangelo. Um, This is a matchup of two right-handed defensemen who were leaders for the St. Louis Blues. uh, One still is. uh, Two surefire Hall, probably Hall of Famers at this point. Um, Petrangelo, I think after a couple years, you can probably lock him in the the Hall of Fame. Um, both guys that have similar offensive numbers, really. Um, Petrangelo's played 758 games for the Blues, 109 goals, 341 assists for 450 points. He's a plus 77 during his time here. Uh, McInnes, on the other hand, uh, of course, we all remember McInnes for his big slap shot, played 613 games for the Blues, so about 140 less. Uh, so basically about two seasons less. Uh, 127 goals, 325 assists for 452 points. He was a plus one thirty-two during his time in the blue note. Now, this is an interesting argument, just simply it just this one's gonna come down to perception. Um and I and I give Petrangelo, I think, the edge in voting here just because Petrangelo's always been considered the number one. In St. Louis, he's not had anyone else. I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk flirted, you know, with being a number one for a while, but I don't think he ever got to that point. But a lot of people thought that Shattenkirk was just on the same level as Petrangelo offensively. Um, Petrangelo's been the guy. He is the, you know, when it when it comes to the 2010s, you can probably put him and Tarasenko next to each other as faces of the franchise. Um, he's reliable. He, uh, he'll, he'll get you points. He plays good on his own end. Um, he's never been a Like I wouldn't call him true, true, true elite in the NHL. Like he hasn't won a Norris yet. Um, he has, uh, the closest he got to a Norris was uh fourth in 2011, 12. And then he got a uh, fifth in, uh, 2013, 14, so he's had some tough competition. He is a two-time All Star, um, and he, he has he has good numbers, and I think his reps good. McGinnis, on the other hand, he always was kind of in Chris Pronger's shadow in St. Louis. Even as you know, even they both got to St. Louis about the same time. Pronger was still the young kid, so it took him a while to uh, emerge. But once he did. It always felt like it was Pronger and McGinnis, not McGinnis and Pronger. Um, McGinnis, he gets not nearly enough credit for his defensive abilities. He has that big shot. He was known as for his offense. Absolutely, even Pronger himself admitted during Spit and Chicklets that that's kind of you know McGinnis kind of had did not have the defensive rep that he deserved. He was very good on his own end. Um, and I think he did get some recognition around the league in general for that. He did win a Norris during his time in St. Louis. In fact, he won the Norris the year before Pronger won the Norris and a Hart, 1998-99. Uh, he was a seven-time All-Star. He's a Hall of Famer. And again, this one is kind of tough to separate here. My, I, I, I will admit that... The only reason I'm going with Al McGinnis here is because I'm incredibly biased towards Al McGinnis. He was one of my favorites growing up, um, and I I was in that camp that wondered why he never got the appreciation that I felt that he deserved. I mean, you know, he still gets lauded as an all-time great, but again, during his time in St. Louis, he was in Pronger's shadow. Um, I'm going McGinnis here. What do you think, Wags? It's a it's an incredibly
2: tough one for me too it because is. I I am a huge Al McKinnis fan. Uh, you know, just the fact that he was able to do what he did with a wooden stick for the most part, and yeah, he, you know, he broke goaltender's hands with his shots. People feared when he loaded up and and got that stick. Triggered and ready to go, um, and that's not something Alex Petrangelo is ever going to be accused of. of is being offensively gifted, uh, he, he's going to put up points. He's, he's scored timely goals, and he knows how to play hockey. McKinnis was feared when it came to his shot, uh, and and that's the thing that's you know, and I think that's what overshadowed his, his defensive play was. Everybody looked at him as this offensive threat, and his defense was phenomenal. You don't win a Norris Trophy in the years that Nick Lidstrom was in the league by just being able to shoot the puck really, really hard. You had to be offensively and defensively gifted, and he was. And he was doing that in his mid to late 30s. And We talked about this last time we we talked about these matchups, and McKinnis was still going strong in his year 40, if not for an eye injury. He could have played two or three more years at a high level.
0: Yeah, the year before he got his eye injury, he was second in the Norris voting, and he was sixth in the heart as a forty-year, as a 39-year-old defenseman. That's that, that's insane. Absolutely insane. And But then you look over at Alex Petrangelo and you're right in the fact that
2: he has been the guy. He has been the number one. He was a kind of an, I wouldn't say an afterthought when he was drafted, because when he was drafted, the Blues had Eric Johnson, and Eric Johnson was supposed to be the guy. Alex Petrangelo came in here and essentially took that from him. There's a reason they moved EJ, and part of it was because a little bit of the off-ice stuff, but They moved him because they knew they had Alex Petrangelo in here.
0: Well, not only that, but Petrangelo is part of a draft class that um, he was kind of somewhere in the mix in that draft class. I mean, he had – that was the same year that Drew Dowdy came into the league, and he was picked second overall. And then the pick before Petrangelo was Zach Bogosian uh, of the Atlanta Thrashers. And then Petrangelo was the third defenseman off the board. So he wasn't even the top defenseman in his draft. But I think um, you know, he has out, definitely outperformed the likes of Zach Bogosian, Luke Shen, uh, and then some others that got drafted that round.
2: Yeah, yeah, he has definitely. And until he wins a second cup, he, he won't be in this, in the in the conversation with Dowdy, although I think he is better than Drew Dowdy. Um and I, I know that's that's definitely home cooking bias right there. But sure. um you know, you, you hear about Everything that he's gone through uh, in the hockey world and in his personal life, as far as you know, the, the loss of a, of a child in you know during pregnancy and things like that, and then, and then the year later having triplets, and then winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, the, the guys had to deal with a ton of stuff, and, and fans not thinking he's captain material, and he's just he's just taking all this in stride. And you can see why he is the captain. You can see why this team rallies around him and follows his lead and you still can't get the image out of your head of him lifting the Stanley Cup over his head because he's the first guy in Blue's history to do that. Yeah. So there's that as well. I mean, you can't discount that. But no. I think the voting is going to go towards Al McInnes because there are still people that question him even being the captain of his, of this team. And it's not fair to him because I've no. always been a Petrangelo guy, uh, but I think it's going to go Al McInnes. I am going to vote for Petrangelo, but it's going to be Al McInnes coming out of it.
0: I think, you know, and as and you bring up an interesting point, you know, with Petrangelo kind of being blasted over the years for not being the captain he should be. And there was always kind of, you know, there was always pressure on Petrangelo from the fan base here to be that number one guy. Um, McGinnis, the fact that he had Pronger next to him may have been just as much of a blessing as, as it was a curse in that regard, just because I feel McGinnis got protected a lot Um, from the fans, you know, because, you know, I know there were fans back in the day that didn't like Pronger because they thought Pronger was taking too many stupid penalties uh, or he was clumsy or whatever. Um, Pronger had his detractors back then. They they weren't many, but he had, you know, he had some. I never heard that from McInnes. And and that's just simply because Pronger was the guy back in the day. Um, so I think history kind of looks at McGinnis with a bit of a more favorable eye, you know, just because he didn't have that uh, criticism against him. Um, I would like, I would like to think history looks at him fondly, just because they recognize how reliable and solid of a defender that Al McGinnis was, you know, both on offense and on defense. Um, so I'm gonna go with Al McGinnis here. Uh, I honestly think I could see Petrangelo winning this, just because of recency bias. You know, he did win the cup.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's that's the one thing I think that's gonna play into this is he is the first guy to win the cup for the Blues.
0: Right, right. But I, but it, in terms of production, I mean, if we're looking at you know again the numbers, McGinnis beats Petrangelo just because they both have about the same number of points, but McGinnis did it in about a you know a season and a half quicker. So. Yeah. Yeah, so so definitely, so there, there's a difference there, and I think defensively on their own end, it's probably about a push. Uh, I would say um, I think Petrangelo is a better skater of the two, and I think McGinnis would be the first to admit that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's gonna be a close matchup. It's gonna be a good matchup. I'm really curious to see how it comes out. If Petrangelo wins, I'm not gonna be mad. No, no, uh, not, not know, at even all. even though I, even though I'm a like one a big 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 McGinnis fan. Uh, I'll I'll get it totally. So uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. So and that brings us to now the other side of our uh, round our, our Sweet Sixteen matchups, the goalies, and uh, Wags. We got uh, two two more interesting matchups here, uh, particularly the second one.
2: Yeah, yeah. The first matchup is is Jordan Biddington the one seed against Curtis Joseph the four seed. Two guys, one a Stanley Cup winner, the other one the a uh, harbinger of our youth, I would say Yeah. <laughs> someone we just much. absolutely love. And then the bottom matchup, the two, three matchup, two guys that don't necessarily get the credit they deserve. And two guys that were far better than sometimes the record indicated grant fear versus Mike Liute. Um, that's almost splitting hairs at this point.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah, we're definitely at that point of the the bracket here where we really do kind of have to split hairs to separate some of these guys uh first matchup Jordan Bennington against Curtis Joseph. Now it, it's it you almost can't look at the numbers in this one just because Cujo uh played uh two hundred eighty games for the St. Louis Blues. Bennington has played in eighty three. Uh so that's not an apples to apples argument. Um for me it just it 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 boils down to one simple thing. Bennington won the cup. And he had a sensational year in winning the cup—a 1.89 goals against average, a 927 save percentage. He has continued that on with a solid campaign in 2019-20. He is arguably the face of the franchise now. Uh, as I mentioned before, be, it's either him or O'Reilly at this point. But I think I think Bennington's captured more hearts uh, just in this in this town. Fans loved Cujo back in his day. Um, he was he was definitely popular. Um, his numbers. I mean, again, he played in a more high scoring era, so you can't really compare the numbers too much. I just, I can't go against. It's not so much that I'm going against Curtis Joseph here. It's just that I can't go against Jordan Bennington in this matchup, and I I think our fans will probably say the same.
2: I agree. You know, we didn't get a whole lot of. Jordan Biddington last year as far as you know answering questions what is he going to be like yeah he went on a hell of a run you know one of the he's the first guy the first rookie goaltender to win 12 games in a, in a playoff season it, it's just unreal and he's he played well this year he struggled he was up and down a little bit and part of that is because he played so much especially down the stretch uh, but he still put up numbers this year that in any other season, people would be like, yeah, we'll take that. No question. Take it to the bank. We're done. And with Cujo, yeah, he played in a, in a wildly different league. I mean, at that point, goaltenders were transitioning from the style they played in the late eighties to kind of what they play now, as far as butterfly and, and, reverse, you know, reverse VH and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't even know the terms sometimes with these goaltenders. They're a little weird. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's in a, in a different league in a different time frame. And to put up the numbers he did is pretty good. I mean, he had that yeah. one remarkable year in 92-93, a 938 save percentage, 2.27 goals against in the playoffs. That's really, really good in that day and age when you're going up against the likes of, a you know, of a Gretzky or, or who else you're going up against, uh, you know, the, the dominant Chicago teams at the time. So he was a really good goaltender. He's the guy yeah. that you emulated in your backyard, on your street, wherever you were playing hockey at. But like you said, Jordan Bennington won a Stanley Cup.
0: <laughs> yeah, and just to give you some perspective, uh, you know Curtis Joseph he had a 911 save percentage during the '92-'93 season that led the NHL, and his 302 goals against average was good enough to get him third in the Vezina that year. So that kind of gives you some idea as to you know what the what was considered good back then, and Curtis Joseph was definitely considered. Very good in his time. Uh, thank you, Mike Keenan, for robbing us of his prime uh, by trading him to Edmonton. Sounds fam- sounds familiar. Hmm, the, a great player getting traded to Edmonton before he should have gone. Hmm. I wonder if we heard that before. Oh yeah, Chris Pronger. Um, so not 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 to digress, but yeah, I think this one's going to be probably Jordan Bennington here. I expect Cujo to get some votes uh, for sure. I like you said, he was a, definitely a fan favorite here, but. Um, I just, I just, I, I, I can't go against Bennington. I just I can't.
2: You, you can't. Any, anytime you get a guy that brings a Stanley Cup for the first time to a team and, and does so much for it. I mean, you're not going to sit there and have, you know, a guy like uh, a Sammy Blay in, in the forward bracket. Or you're not going to have a Mackenzie McEachern in your forward bracket. You're going to have a Ryan O'Reilly or a Vladimir Tarasenko or even a David Perron up there because they did so much for that team to win a cup. Bennington was the reason they won this cup. You can say all you want about the forwards and what they did, but without Jordan Bennington, the Blues do not win the Stanley Cup last year.
0: Right, exactly. Uh, and then we get our final matchup here, uh, number two, Grand Fury versus number three, Mike Leute. I think this one's probably going to be all Grand Fury, but I think Mike Leute deserves more love. Um, and, I, and I think this bracket has kind of shown how f- people don't really know Mike Liut very well. Because um, Leute beat Osgood in the first round, but he only won by 82 to 18 percent. And then in the last round, Mike Leut scraped by a win uh, over Jake Allen, 54 to 46 percent. Um, so that and it's it's very easy to look at Mike Leut's numbers and you see that he has goals against averages 4.07, 3.72. This guy must have been trash. Well, early in the eighties, everyone was scoring. Your mom was scoring probably. Uh, that's how I mean it was it was insane how, how many, you know, goals were scored during this era of time. That's why if you look at Wayne Gretzky's numbers in the eighties, I mean he was unfrickin' real. He'll have numbers that'll never be matched again just because we don't play that open style of hockey like you know, we did back then. Um but to give you some perspective as to how good Mike Lute was, again, the blues in the seventies were bad. And in the early 80s, they weren't great. He, and when I say he, Mike Leute, almost won the Hart Trophy in 1980-81. He finished second in the Hart. He was first in the Pearson voting, and he was an all-star that year with a 335 goals against average and an 894 save percentage. The year before that, he played. He actually had better numbers the year before. He had 318 goals against and an 895 save percentage uh, in 1979-1980. Those were incredible. Incredible numbers. Those were Biddington level numbers back back then. And he was six in the heart voting. Then Mike Liu carried the blues on his back those early 80 years. Compare that to Grant Fuhr, who no one can doubt that in 95-96, the Blues don't get as far as they do without Grant Fuhr. 287 goals against 903 save percentage. Six in the Vesna, six in the heart. He played 79 games that year, an outrageous amount of games. And if it weren't for Nick Kiprios, you know, destroying his knee, who knows what happens that year. Um, Fior had really good numbers in St. Louis. He played four years in St. Louis, 268 goals against, and a 900 save percentage. Liute, uh, he had also good numbers in St. Louis for his time, a 359 goals against and an 885 save percentage. Um I actually I don't know. I, I this one I truly don't know which way I'm going to go at this point. Wags, what do you think?
2: I'm I'm leaning towards Grant Fier uh, because he put up those numbers on a team that actually was going somewhere and they took advantage of what he was doing for them. Uh, whereas Liute put up these amazing numbers was second in the heart, played a ton of minutes. I mean, he played the most minutes in the league in 81, 82 and 82, 83. Uh, and yet you said, just like you said, they were the worst teams that you can imagine. Yeah. They weren't good. They were not good at all. So the fact that he was putting up these spectacular numbers and was a heart consideration and all star a Pearson winner and the team couldn't muster up anything to even support him. Um, it's not a knock on Liut. It's more about, you know, Grant Fuhr did this a lot, and the team carried that along as well. And if not for the injury to his knee, could have been one of the first guys to lift the Stanley Cup in St. Louis. Um, you know, Leute was never going to get to the Stanley Cup Finals with the Blues teams he had. Not through any fault of his own. He was facing. I mean, the, the year uh, in '81-'82, he faced over two thousand shots. I that's, mean, an, come on. that's insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. He, he averaged he averaged about nineteen hundred shots a year, being you know faced in in a sixty game season sixty four sixty eight. He he was a great goaltender. Does not get the credit he deserves. And I dare you to go out there and watch video of eighties hockey and just go wow how were goaltenders stopping shots ever? Yeah, well, alone the amount that he was able to stop seventeen eighty in that year. So it's underappreciated what Mike Liute did in his time. Uh, But I am going to go with Grant Fuhrer once again, mainly because of recency bias. He was a lot more recent than Mike Liute was to me.
0: Yeah, Fuhrer is probably going to win this one, and it's probably because of that recency bias. My vote's going to go, I think, to Liute just because of what he was able to do on the dog crap teams that he played for. Uh, and he just, he just does not get the appreciation that I feel he deserves, uh, for his time in the blue note. Uh, someone's got to be an advocate for him. I will be. So I, my, my pick is Leut, but I expect fear to win. And if that, and if fear wins, just like with McGinnis, I'm not going to be mad because I, I get it. Fear, fear was great during his time in St. Louis. Uh, Leut played longer in St. Louis. He played, uh, two more years than fear did. Um, and he played in a more volatile time for goalies than Fear did. So that's that's why I'm going with Liute. But I, I totally get if you vote for Fear. It's, it's, it, he, I love Fear growing up. So um, I get it. But and, my and, vote's whoever,
2: and whoever wins is going to lose to Jordan Bennington next round anyway. So, you know, it doesn't really Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, I seriously, I don't see how I'll either one have a prayer against, against Bennington. I mean, Bennington has been the only guy, by the way, that has swept his way to this point. He swept Greg Millen in the first round. He swept Glenn Hall last round. I don't know if he's going to sweep Curtis Joseph, but uh, I still expect him to win that one pretty handily. In yeah, fact, I, 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 I agree. Yeah, I w- in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Cujo gives Bennington a bit be- better run than either Liut or Fjordo, honestly. It wouldn't shock I, me.
2: I could see that, yeah, mainly because of just what Curtis Joseph meant to a lot of fans growing up. Um, just what he did here and the, the whole cujo Day fight. That was my first introduction to hockey, really, was cujo Day. And, yeah. you know, you didn't see Lute or Fear of fighting other goaltenders. Curtis Joseph fought another goaltender. Yeah. Uh, that, that right there gives you a bunch of cred right there. And, like I said, first interaction with hockey was that fight. Um, and then it just his legend here in St. Louis grew. I mean, Bennington even emulated him when, when they wore the throwback retro jerseys this year. You know, he, he wore Cujo pads, Cujo helmet. Jordan Bennington is going up against an idol, essentially. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out.
0: Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Blue Notes Pod. Our first matchup on Monday at noon will be Chris Spronger versus Bob Plager. Tuesday, it'll be Al McGinnis versus Alex Petrangelo. Wednesday, we will have the Jordan Bennington versus Curtis Joseph matchup. And Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, rather, will be number two, Grand Fuhrer, against number three, Mike Liute. So make sure you're following Blue Notes Pod on Twitter uh, to vote in those polls. And of course, we couldn't couldn't do a bracket of of our own without the folks at Manscaped. Isha, tell us about them.
1: This episode of the Blue Notes Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's, below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me, and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whoo! One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane! If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at Manscaped.com. Your balls will. Thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below-the-belt grooming.
0: All right, and thank you, Ish, for that message. And uh, now I want to take you to a little bit of our conversation with our friends, Uh, That covered the Colorado Avalanche for the Hockey Podcast Network. Tyler and Jared from Offside by a Mile. And uh, playoffs was on our mind. And uh, let's go ahead and hear a little bit of our conversation. I saw a report in The Athletic that came out just today that uh, it's being considered as one of the uh, host cities for if the NHL season does resume. Uh, In fact, it's actually being considered as a centralized site. uh, site, I guess, according to The Athletic. Mm. Minnesota, Edmonton, Toronto, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Dallas, among the 12 cities apparently that are being vetted right now. Toronto
3: confuses me a lot.
0: Yeah. Why why go into Toronto in that beehive? Like,
3: A, it's the biggest city in Canada, and B, it's probably the hardest-hit city by COVID. So why would you go? It doesn't make any sense to me, but... I don't know. It's you know the
2: only thing I can think of when it comes to Toronto is the fact that they hosted the world cup of hockey and they have the, I guess the facilities and the ability to host multiple teams and play multiple games in that time frame Cause they're talking about three games a day. Yeah. And that would be the only reason I could see them talking about Toronto. The one name that got thrown out, which is really funny and probably makes people in Atlanta hurt is Atlanta was a, a, a spot that was mentioned as, <laughs> Hey, we got players skating <laughs> down here. Why not use Atlanta? And it's like, Come on, Flames and Thrasher's fans. That would be amazing. <laughs> all five of them?
3: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really funny, actually, to go to a city that doesn't have any hockey. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's not like there's fans going, but it just would be really funny to go to Atlanta, of all places.
0: or like, Or, like, go play hockey in San Antonio or something. Yeah, there we go. No, but as far as like an abs blues playoffs, I mean, it would be one of the matchups that I would want as know, a fan,
3: just,
0: 100%. As a fan, as a guy that enjoys good hockey, I know it would be a fun romp. You know, it yeah. would probably be a long series. Um, I would probably use, uh, I would probably lose years off my life. Like <laughs> I did with the Dallas series last year, Yep. Yep. Uh, which I still have PTSD over. <laughs> um, you know, just, yeah. and that, And that's a team that I also, I also was kind of – as much as I would want the Avs, I would not want the Stars just for that very reason. I just – Yeah. They, the
4: Stars are a tricky team. Well,
0: they very are. Yeah, And, and Bishop in the playoffs yeah. is, is a freaking demon. I was
4: going to say,
3: if we want to go back to the – how did things go during the regular season for the Avalanche? Uh, they couldn't beat the Stars to save their life. Yeah, And most likely that's the first round. So that's not
4: good yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah yeah you get bishop let's, let's, standing me, on his head and that's a scary situation <laughs> especially for like the abs who have the firepower and i guess you know st louis does have quite a bit of firepower as well but once you get stuck in that rut and you just can't beat a goalie it's it's nervous it you know ben bishop is a cheat code when he's
3: yeah. on
0: he pretty much is yeah it's, it, it, i mean his game seven performance in that double in, in that double overtime game uh which just one for the ages, I mean, I mean especially because you want to talk about leaving a goalie hang out to dry. Um, the Stars pretty much they didn't have a shot, I think, for about a period and a half. Yeah, I remember right. us they, watching right. it and
3: laughing about that. We're yeah. like, uh, what the hell's <laughs> happening?"
0: <laughs> and that was the thing. I mean, it was mind-boggling because the Stars weren't a bad offensive team. It just they they hit a rut themselves, and then it'll just kind of like, okay, it's okay. Ben Bishop will just bail us out you know and he did for about you know five periods
4: yeah and i mean um, i think he kind of did that a lot this season for them too and and i guess you could throw kudobin in there as well yeah but like because yeah. you know some of the bigger stars players like Seg and ben were like struggling Awful. to score right and even radulov at times as well yeah, yeah not we looking Mike, good at all we had
3: michael on the podcast and he's like the only guy scoring is um hey what's his
4: name uh Oh my gosh. Wow.
3: Good. Oh, Rupe? Yeah, Rupe yes. yeah, Hints, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, uh, you're like,
4: what?
0: Hints is the only one scoring. We pay
3: Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben like millions and millions of dollars and they're playing like bums. All right, sweet.
0: By the way, I'm pretty sure that Michael Farley, if he doesn't have a poster of Rupe hints in his bedroom, <laughs> um, it's probably coming because he, Rupe hints is number one in Michael Farley's heart. Oh,
3: <laughs> yeah. 100%. At, you've seen Hockey Trolls, um, Polly Cupcakes cardboard cutout?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think
3: Farley needs one of those Rupe hints. Yeah. To yeah, record with yeah.
0: Yeah. Farley was one of my first guests ever on Blue Notes and he warned me like in advance. I asked him what's the one player that we need to watch <laughs> out for? And I couldn't even finish the sentence and he said Rupe hints.
3: Yeah, I think he had the exact same <laughs> sentence though. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: He reminds yeah. me, uh Hints reminds me of just that, that pest on every team that you don't like a Jordan Tutu back in his Nashville days. Just a guy that doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of ability. But is always in a play, gets a timely goal here and there, and just bugs the shit out of you
0: every time you play him, and yeah. you hate him so much, but you kind of want him on your team. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. sounds about right. Sean yeah, Avery. Yeah, he,
0: he he's a kid that knows how to use his size. I mean, Rupe is kind of a bigger kid too, so mm-hmm. um, not not one I not one you enjoy facing, that's for sure.
3: Another thing that's going to change drastically between the Blues and the Avalanche by the time playoffs roll around here. Tarasenko's back.
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: I'm not, not looking forward that. to that.
0: And not only that, but this is a situation where Tarasenko isn't coming off like, you know, maybe do we question, oh, is he coming back too early? Yeah. No, he's rested. And he's, he's, this is like, if, if there's one small silver lining in all this bullshit, it is the fact that we've given Tarasenko like a couple extra months to like fully heal up.
3: Yeah. The know, abs are now, definitely feeling the same.
0: Yeah. And yeah cuz you were uh, you were without Rantanen for a while, right?
3: Without Rantanen. McKinnon, McKinnon just down. got just got hurt right before the stoppage happened.
4: Who else Burke was there? Yeah. just it's Grubauer.
3: Grubauer. It's just the the list was yeah. The Colorado Ambulance were uh <laughs> full, full. Yeah, yeah and
0: uh, I'll, I'll say, ahead. you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Tarasenko back on the ice again. But this season has kind of highlighted the fact that maybe maybe he's a little overrated just because the team did so well without him. You know,
3: that's a tough tough one. That's always that's always the tough road to go down.
0: It, it, it it's a slippery slope for sure, but it it's just like, you know, the the whole thought process with the blues, you know, before last year was that as the blues go, as Teresanko goes, so does the blues. Uh, okay. He was, yeah. he was the main offensive force behind the blues for so many years. Now you have O'Reilly on the team. Now you have, um, you know, Braden Sten stepping up the way that he has done, and uh, others that are just kind of chipping in as well, and just kind of like we've done all this without Tarasenko. In fact, in in our we're doing the uh, all-time blues bracket on our on Blue Notes, uh, a bracket of our own. And last week, uh, Tarasenko as a number two seed took on Pierre Turgeon, a number ten seed, former halves, Pierre yep, Turgeon, yep. by the way. Uh, Turgeon gave Tarasenko a run for his money. Um, and that was, you know, we me and Wags made the case that maybe it should be Terjan being Terasenko because Terjan was over a point per game guy with the blues. People forget how good he was in the late late nineties and early two thousands. And Teresenko He's, he d- didn't quite have the numbers when compared to a Pierre Turgeon. That was kind of a surprising thing. We didn't quite convince the voters of that, but uh, <laughs> it was just like, but it just, it just for me, it just, you know, in talking with Wags, it just kind of like, hmm, maybe this isn't Tarasenko's team anymore.
2: Yeah, it was very eye-opening when you looked at the statistics and the fact that Turgeon was a point-per-game player for the Blues and Tarasenko is not. You know, 214 goals, 214 assists. Um, and and roughly the same amount of time, actually, I think a little bit more time than Pierre Turgeon spent here with the Blues. Uh, I mean, for me, growing up in the in the late '90s, early 2000s, Pierre Turgeon was one of those guys that every night his name was in the score sheet. And Tarasenko is a guy that can take over games. Don't get me wrong. I and mean, there's the, the couple of hat trick games he had uh, last year, game one against the Stars. Even he just he can take over a game, but there are times where he can disappear. And part of that is because of defensives keying in on him and and literally taking him out of the game, whereas yeah. Turgeon was never a guy that teams like keyed in on. They knew he was dangerous and he produced, but he wasn't a superstar when you had guys like Brett Hall and then at some at one point Wayne Gretzky on your team they targeted other guys, so he had yeah. the ability. Uh, so that was a, another part of the argument probably was that Tarasenko can take over games where Turgeon can't, but Turgeon produced and produced and produced and produced, it, and it begs the question now that you've got guys like O'Reilly and Shen and a guy like Robert Thomas coming up how much, you know, does Tarasenko need to be on this team? You're not going to get a guy that can shoot a puck from a pass in 0.2 seconds like Tarasenko does, but does that you know, hurt the team or help the team? I still think it helps the team, but maybe in another year, we might be singing a different tune.
4: And I think, yeah, having like an all-star, super offensive, talented player like Tarasenko – kind of opens up a lot of the other guys that you kind of mentioned right there because that takes a lot of the spotlight off those other guys and even if you think about like David Perron this year who's had a remarkably crazy out of nowhere kind of year in a way I think that bringing Tarasenko back obviously will even open up him a little bit more and he's just had that confidence you know all year long so I mean as much as I think you guys may be onto something with that it's uh, it's also the fact that you bring those players back, and it completely opens up and takes a lot of attention away from other players that you kind of mentioned, like Shen, Perron, too, yeah, O'Reilly. You know, so
3: we can say the same thing about the Avs this year, right? Like, we were without Landeskog for for a long time. They just kept motoring along. Then Ranton disappeared, and they kept motoring along, and until basically they lost McCarr and or McKinnon is when it really started to stumble. I am never ever gonna say Landis Coggs over it, like not like a part they don't need. And (laughs) Randon obviously is insane, right? And like I'm not saying you guys are wrong. You guys, it's it's a case of having so many pieces. Eventually, somebody is overvalued, quote unquote. I'm not saying like they're overpaid. I'm saying that for what your team needs, maybe that value is misplaced.
2: Yeah, and that was the argument we made yeah. with Tarasenko was when he was drafted, the Blues didn't have a whole lot. I mean, you had a young TJ Oshie, you had a young David Perron, you had a young Patrick Berglund, you had an, a, you know, a, a captain in David Backus that was good, but you know he was a third-line center at best. So when they brought in Tarasenko, this Russian sniper, you didn't know what you were going to get. He was highly touted. Yeah, people are going to be like, this guy is it. This is the, the yeah. face of the organization. And he still is a face of the organization. He's a big St. Louis contributor. He's a big Cardinal fan. Uh, he's great for the city of St. Louis. We love him here. There's no question that we don't want to get rid of him. Absolutely. Uh, but it's just a matter of sitting there going, you know, what is his value to the team? Now, is he the number one guy on here? Or is someone like Orion O'Reilly, who you guys know probably pretty decently as well, is <laughs> he's yep. starting to supplant him as a number one guy because of what he does and what he means to the team you talk about david perron perron was okay all of a sudden ryan o'reilly gets here and the work ethic that o'reilly is putting in before and after practice you're starting to see that permeate to other guys like a david perron who's now coming to practice early and staying late and working on things he's never worked on before and you see the fruits of his labor yeah and a lot of that is because of ryan o'reilly
4: yeah so does that
2: mean ryan o'reilly supplanted tarasenko is the number one guy on this team
3: well yeah and like you say that right it's Hypothetical, if you had a choice between Ryan O'Reilly or Tarasenko, who you taking? Right, Despite, it's a very hard. That, that's that's a spicy you know, argument.
0: You know, for me, it's not that hard. I would I would take O'Reilly. Yeah, exa- well, yeah, but then uh, when you talk I, about all like damn day, yeah, when you talk about that, the but,
3: historics, it's 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 and not let me easy. Give
0: some perspective into how much I think O'Reilly's kind of taken over as the face of the franchise and how much fans love him here. So, again, we're doing our, you know, all-time blues bracket here, and we have uh, our forward split between basically before Brett Hall arrived and after Brett Hall arrived. And so Ryan O'Reilly is obviously in the after, and he was a 12 seed in our bracket because, you know, he only had, you know, that one full year and then, you know, year and a half basically – and he took on David Backus in round one, who was a five seed.
1: Crushed and David him.
0: Backus, longtime blue, um, you know, below. I mean, people love them. They David Backus here. I mean, he was a big time giver to the community, blah, blah, blah. Rhino Riley clapped him 87 to 13.
3: Recency 100%. bias helps a lot.
0: And then and then in the second round, he took on number four seeded Pavel Dimitra, another fan favorite here in St. Louis. Rest in peace. You know, tra- <laughs> you know, tragic what happened to him. O'Reilly clapped him sixty seven to thirty three percent you know so now it's kind of like it, it, it's like it kind of hit home for me really seeing that as just like what o'Reilly has meant to this franchise well, in the past year it's and a half.
3: it's a case now. of right if you can put your team on your back and take them to the promised land, you will have statues everywhere right like and he will yeah. i guarantee you he will and a con yeah. smythe performance yeah. yeah
4: like that right is like it, it's you know, you watched those playoffs last year. You want to talk likes. about
3: a legacy. That's how you make a legacy, yeah, right?
4: For sure. That was yeah. a legendary run for him. Toronto, well, I think Look. it even was even before
2: that, and the fact that the team started off so poorly, and yet he was the one constant the entire year. Mm-hmm. For a guy coming off of a, the, the season he had before where he essentially lost his love for hockey
4: Yeah, he,
3: and yeah, coming I'll, to a new team,
2: come on.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, right. Ryan O'Reilly at 28, 29, you're like, eh. I think we've seen... Ryan O'Reilly. And then all of a sudden last year happened. You're like, maybe we haven't.
0: See, for me, O'Reilly was always one of those underappreciated guys in the league just because he does a lot of the little things for sure. so well. I mean, he's he's fantastic at face offs. He plays selkie level defense. I mean, he won the damn selkie last year. Um and he's he, i I think he brings a leadership quality, I think, you know, that, that goes underappreciated. He was definitely underappreciated in Buffalo. I mean, he was treated as, you know, just because, you know, he wasn't Jack Eichel, you know, he was treated kind of as a second rate citizen there. Um, which is unfortunate Um, and just yeah I think just seeing O'Reilly you know put it all together you know he can he can score when he wants to but he's definitely more of a playmaker he he makes players on his line better that's the David Perron is the biggest example of that Mm -hmm. those two have an an absolute sixth sense you know (laughs) with each other it's just just unreal like I, I I think I told you guys you know what happened at the Halloween party this year
3: yeah they went as each other right
0: they, yeah, O'Reilly O'Reilly dressed up as David Perron, and Perron dressed up as Ryan O'Reilly, and they did not know yeah, they were going to dress really. up as each other. The fact
3: that they didn't plan it is insane. No, uh.
0: no, it'll just it'll just it just one of those things. And uh, yeah, they've got a remarkable, remarkable chemistry, and that kind of you know, and we're talking about Tarasenko. I mean, there there's a discussion that needs to be had about where do you put Tarasenko. Because you have one line that has a, an established unit in O'Reilly and Perron, and then you have another line with an established unit in Shen and Schwartz. So do you put Tarasenko with them, or do you put, them, put Tarasenko with O'Reilly and Perron? That's going to be an interesting question, <sighs> and, we'll, and we'll probably see that answer that here. Is, hopefully that soon. is some
3: scary combinations, though. Oof. It is. It yeah. really is. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I think historically, Tarasenko has played a lot more with and Schwartz, so I, I, would, I would probably guess that would be where he goes. I don't know, Wags. What do you think?
2: I, I agree 100%. I think it, having Blay up there with O'Reilly and Perron, uh, is a great combination you know blaze able to use his body just like a, a backer circuit Kachuk was able to and, and give those guys the ability in the room to work and yeah like i yeah. said tarasenko has worked more with schwartz and shen than really anybody else and to be able to kind of come back and have that chemistry and that familiarity is going to be beneficial for him because it's going to take a, a couple games for him to really get back into game speed yes he's going to be has been able to skate and that's Super but imperative. The good thing but for him have the game speed.
3: The good thing for him is so is everybody. It's
2: that's true as that's well. True. He helps. won't he won't be
3: jumping on the train that's going full full speed like normal because everybody else is dealing with the same thing right now. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. a little training camp will do everybody good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Now, what 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 do you think? I mean, do you think it's how long do you think it's going to take for these players? Say we have a little bit of a regular season and then playoff and i don't know what shape the playoffs is going to take i've heard uh execs want uh, best of fives until the finals and then a the best of seven um but i mean how long do you think it's going to take for these players to kind of get back into game speed
3: well if you ask our coach he says a week or two That's, i think uh, he's wishful, crazy wishful thinking i, I think, think he's yeah. crazy yeah. Yeah. uh i'd say a two-week training camp and probably two weeks of games probably that you're going to see probably full speed ahead but again it's not it's not going to be the same because it's not going to be mid-season form I don't think
4: that's the interesting thing about it is like I as as much as you know I I would love to see them have some kind of finish to the regular season but I just I just don't see it happening really you know like I don't know if timelines are going to line up and I as much as I want that to happen I just don't think it will but timelines and not gonna...
3: just purely getting teams to play each other yeah. Right? Like, it's one thing to line up series to play in the centralized locations. It's yes, another team to like, would be a okay, you yeah. guys need to play St. Louis, Dallas, so-and-so, 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 and then we'll play playoffs. Like, that yeah. cause that just means more yeah. flying, right? It's it's way more logistical hell to have a finish to the regular season than it is just to jump into playoffs.
4: That's why I think that it would is- be so weird just to jump right into the playoffs after not playing hockey, yeah. would just I'm. It kind of excites me because I want to see like how players are going to respond to that. Like who's actually going to be in shape? Who's going to have those legs? Because you know that some players will and like, guaranteed.
3: Just like any playoff run, somebody's going to be the Ryan O'Reilly guy that just puts his team on his back and goes nuts right from the beginning of playoffs. Whether or not he's got games to play beforehand or not, right? So it could just be it'll be literally anyone.
4: Yeah, like Tyson Jost or something. Yeah. Who's been working out somehow harder than everybody. Yeah. Tyson Jost, You comes couldn't in.
3: score for like 25 games. <laughs> yeah. He's just going to somehow go off.
4: You never know, right? Like, it would be super interesting to see how players respond to that. Well, but, how
2: many how many finals victories have been built on legit superstars i mean they're gonna get their points but yeah. it's always the unsung guys it's yeah. always the third line players that are the ones that are making the plays most most of those overtime double overtime triple overtime game-winning goals aren't scored by the superstars yeah. they're sc- scored by the grinders pat maroon yeah. come on yeah, exactly. uh,
0: jay beagle you know a couple yeah. of years ago yeah. for washington i mean all awesome. <laughs> yeah
4: yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's because all the superstars have been playing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um but yeah, you get like, you know, the Teresanko's, the McKinnons who, you know, once you get fourth, fifth period of hockey, they've played what, like half a like half a game yeah. of ice time, thirty minutes, thirty five minutes, you never know. And that's yeah. when those guys sneak in, like, you know, a Tyson Jost or a Jay Beagle. And
3: or- it's playoff, so it's your top two lines cancel each other out and it's the depth scoring that always seems to win games right. regardless. Yeah,
4: it, Carrico, that's
2: gonna be our guy. Yeah, there you
0: yeah. go. Yeah, I, I was, I was gonna say like in a in a game seven, you know, scenario in the playoffs, you know, when and and say it's like back to double overtime again, which would really kick in my PTSD over at the Dallas series. <laughs> uh, you know, I would half leg, like, I, I would almost expect like a Mackenzie McEkern to get the game winning yeah. goal over a Tarasenko, just because his legs are gonna be you know far fresher than a Tarasenko who'd have played probably about half the game.
3: Maybe you know? maybe Justin Falk changes tom's mind oh man the the
0: the we then we go into like an alternate timeline an alternate universe you know like back to the future yeah you know and just and then everything just becomes darkness
3: that's it just off like justin falk <laughs> scores a game winner and the lights just turn off in the building game over the world just explodes
0: all right so if you want to hear more of our conversation with those two uh make sure you uh follow offside by a mile Uh, Like them and subscribe to them, and uh, you'll hear us on uh, their episode this week. Uh, Good guys, Wags, even though they are as fans. Yeah, I
2: mean, that's the great thing about hockey and and this Hockey podcast Network is you get to actually interact with people that are legit fans of these teams, and you really kind of realize they're just like us. They're rabid, and they're faithful to their team but they're pretty nice guys. They know hockey. They, they understand the the logistics behind it. They understand the fandoms of other teams and you can respect people. Even if you hate their teams, you can respect them when they're knowledgeable and and appreciative of what they got and just about hockey in general. So yeah, it was a blast
0: getting to talk with them. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, that's going to do it for this episode of blue notes. Remember, follow us on Twitter at blue notes pod for the defense and goalie sweet 16 matchups. And, uh, as always, uh, I'm Tom Franklin. He's wags, uh, without you, there is no me, there is no blue notes, and there is no hockey podcast network. And once again, I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. listening to the hockey podcast network on twitter at hockey Podnet. new episodes every monday and thursday download at the hockey or wherever you get your podcasts from